In ice hockey, there are six major North American and international competitive titles available to players. The Memorial Cup, World Junior Championships, the Stanley Cup, World Championships, the World Cup, and the Olympic Games. Of those six championships, there are only two players in history who've reached the mountaintop of winning each of them. Both former Anaheim Ducks, Corey Perry and Scott Niedermeyer. Scott Niedermeyer is known for his smooth skating ability, elite offensive instincts, and his quiet lead-by-example leadership style. The four-time Stanley Cup winner's career is well-documented as a generational champion, with winning at the core of his career. In addition to the four cups, Niedermeyer earned two Olympic gold medals with Team Canada, the first in the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, the second at the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver, where he also served as the team captain. Prior to his NHL career, Niedermeyer's junior hockey team, the Kamloops Blazers of the Western Hockey League, won the President's Cup as WHL champions during his first season with the club in 1989. Not only did his play on the ice earn him and his team championships, but during the 1990 season, his focus on academics also earned him the Daryl K. Seaman Trophy as the WHL Scholastic Player of the Year. While in the NHL, Niedermeyer earned three Stanley Cups with the New Jersey Devils and one with the Anaheim Ducks. Individually, Scott was named to the All-Rookie Team in 1993, a first-team All-Star three separate times, an NHL All-Star five times, and he won the James Norris Memorial Trophy as the best all-around defenseman in 2004, and was a Conn Smythe Trophy winner in 2007 as the MVP of the Stanley Cup playoffs during his cup run with the Ducks. At the end of Niedermeyer's playing career, he was elected to Canada's Sports Hall of Fame in 2012, the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2013, and the BC Sports Hall of Fame in 2014. The Niedermeyer name also sways in the rafters in New Jersey, Anaheim, and Kamloops, as his number was retired by each of the clubs. But this story isn't just about Scott Niedermeyer, the champion. This is a story about a quiet outdoorsman whose curiosity and deep loyalty to his friends and family allowed him to conquer new heights in each area of his life. A story that begins in a mining town, includes a Nirvana CD, and features a Hollywood script that sees brothers sharing the Stanley Cup in a moment of pure bliss. This is The Mighty Journey of Scott Niedermeyer. Scott Niedermeyer was born on August 31, 1973 in Edmonton, the capital city of the Canadian province of Alberta. Though he was born in Edmonton, he was only there for a short time, as told by Scott and his father, Dr. Bob Niedermeyer. When Scott was born, I was working uh, in a small northern mining town in uh, just near the Yukon border called Cassiar. And uh, Scott went out, well, never mind Scott, <laughs> his mom went out to Edmonton for the delivery because uh, I had no other doctors in the area or other medical help other than the nursing staff. I was born in Edmonton, went back to Cassiar, 
Um, we lived there probably until I was about three years old and then moved to Cranbrook at that point. Scott's brother, Rob, was born in Cassiar prior to the family relocating to Cranbrook, B.C. Cranbrook is a city located in southeastern British Columbia, roughly 50 miles from the Canada-United States border into the state of Idaho. Cranbrook is ideal for people who enjoy the outdoors and the raw beauty of nature, as detailed by Scott's childhood best friend, Jared Bouquet. Cranbrook is when we were growing up, was it about maybe 16 or 17,000 people right in the what's called the Rocky Mountain Trench. So you have the Rocky Mountains on the east side, and then you have the Purcell Mountain Range. The highway goes in there, and so all the animals come down from both sides. It's um, deep, deep in the mountains. It's really hard to get to. So as the crow flies, if you were to fly to Vancouver, it might take, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, but to drive there, it might be 12. And so uh, when winter hits, you know, the biggest things there are, you know, skiing, hockey, hunting. And, you know, if you don't participate in one of those things or participate in winter in general, you kind of suffer through it. But if you participate in one of those, you know, activities, snowmobiling or something like that, it's, you know, arguably one of the best, nicest places to uh, to grow up in. And Scott's brother, Rob. Cranbrook's, uh, I mean, for a kid who loved the outdoors, and uh, I don't think you could grow up in a better spot. It, uh, uh, I mean, we were outside the, as much as we could. Um, I mean, played soccer in the in the summer, um, fished and hiked and hunted and um, went camping in the, in the summers. Uh, and then, of course, when when winter rolled around, we we always had uh, hockey and skiing, and um, we did a lot of playing on the on the frozen ponds, and um, and played a lot of street hockey. So um, yeah, it was it was a for a kid growing up, it was it was definitely a great spot to to go out and and have a lot of fun. Scott's love for the outdoors stems from his childhood upbringing in Cranbrook. Yeah, I mean, I really, you know, it's hard for me to imagine a better, you know, better childhood, really. We uh, lived in uh, a little neighborhood with a couple of, you know, some other families that had kids the same age as us. Um, we had a little creek, you know, down below us that had a little, little fish in it. So we could go fishing or we could go down in there and build a fort or ride our bikes and build a jump. And, you know, really we're able to just kind of, get home from school, put our backpack down and, and head out and, and have some fun with some good friends and, um, you know, feel very fortunate that uh, did grow up like that. And, uh, you know, definitely a lot of those things that, that we did, I think kind of created, you know, our interests and, and different things as we've gotten older um, and very thankful that, we, well, a lot of those relationships we still have, we're lucky to do have that. And then just the background of living in a small town and being able to get out and fish and all, do all those things. Um, I feel very thankful for that, for sure. Grateful. The cul-de-sac that the Niedermeyer household resided in is named Brookview Crescent. In that cul-de-sac, Scott and Rob became very close with a tightly knit friend group that they coined the Brookview Bombers. He grew up in a cul-de-sac. He'll probably be a little bit embarrassed of it. It was called, not the cul-de-sac, it's called Brookview. And him and his neighbors and friends, they had a group of guys, four or five guys, um, 
and they called themselves the Brookview Bombers. <laughs> and they were probably the best road hockey team. And, you know, we played tons and tons of road hockey. And uh, they kind of recruited me to be an honorary bomber, I would say. And we would play different groups. So we would play road hockey all the time. So in his cul-de-sac in Brookview, it was kind of the hangout. We would go there and his next door neighbors, the Canes, and then up the road was the Motties. So there was always a group of guys playing road hockey or shooting pucks, and we would all just kind of congregate there and figure out our plan for the day or what we were going to do from, from his place. But he was just always a quiet leader. We lived in a place called Brookview Crescent, and we just came up with our own little name just amongst ourselves. We weren't, uh, you know, roaring around town as, as a small little gang by any means, but um, we just kind of called that our, ourselves that uh you know, in a, in a half-hearted kind of way, but uh, it's a good group of friends. The friend group became instrumental in Scott's success at each level in his career, as the Bombers still organize group outings that include new outdoor adventures every year. We'll actually get together here again in a couple of weeks with, with everybody, and uh, now there's, we all have families, and I think there's close to 20 kids amongst the seven of us that, that grew up together on that, that neighborhood, so um, great relationships and, and again, fortunate to, to have them. Though Cranbrook, B.C. currently includes more than 20,000 residents, the city is called home by 19 former NHL players, including current executive vice president and general manager of the Detroit Red Wings, Steve Eiserman. Hockey is a part of the city's DNA with several local teams and the landscape of frozen ponds that surround the area, as described by Scott's mother, Carol Niedermeyer. Well, I think that uh, the... Uh there were the Royals here, a senior team that was in a league. And Cranbrook has, when we came, it was a hockey town because they also had a junior team. So hockey was, um, you know, very important as a sport. Um, and it, um, you know, also froze during the winter. And so we were out on sloughs or lakes around here and scraped the snow off and take our dogs and have campfires. And so uh, this little group, we were out together skating and the boys are playing hockey and that type of thing a lot. So the environment for that um, was there, certainly. Scott's curiosity and deep dives on various subjects may stem from his father. You know, I, I think he, you know, is a thinker for sure. And I'm probably have uh, acquired some of those traits as a human. So uh, it's funny every once in a while, Lisa will uh, make a comment that says, oh, that's just like your dad kind of thing, which I guess we all, you know, it's going to happen to all of us at some point for sure. But um you know, he was sort of the organizer. He was the, the manager of our hockey teams. He was the one getting us into tournaments and arranging our travel and, and those type of things. Um, and like I said, sort of, you know, always trying something new, whether it was learning to fish a certain way or learning to tie flies and fly fish or, um, you know, kind of a, a funny story I think of now. We we had a place on a lake that we'd spend a little bit of time in the summer. And my dad had it and said he was going to go catch a sturgeon, which are these big big sort of old looking fish that are sort of at the bottom of rivers and lakes and uh, you'd heard that you do it by getting a big rope and a big fish hook and a whole chicken and just tying it to a tree and throwing it in the river and let it sit there for a couple of days so 
we tried that a few times and we never did get anything, but he, he was always, you know, trying something new and uh, putting us on a little adventure. So uh, we did have fun doing that for sure. There's no questioning how instrumental his mom was in developing his skating ability from when he was a young boy. My mom, I know, um, she would teach power skating and, and to get paid, she would just get like ice time for us at lunch and uh, she would pick us up at lunch hours and Scott and I would go and 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 skate uh, at lunch hours on, on weekdays at school days and uh, that definitely helped us a great deal. That I mean, skating is such an important part of the game that to get a, taught the right way and, and put a lot of time in it at a young age, it, it helped us as, as we went on in our careers. My mom was, was an athlete for sure. Like growing up, she grew up on a farm in Saskatchewan and, you know, had uh, two brothers and a sister and, you know, they had a lot of work to do on the farm, but then anytime they could do a you know play a sport or, or have some fun she was always right in the middle of it didn't matter if it was her brother's plan or, or whoever so she didn't have a I don't know if she had any sort of technical expertise in skating but she was just somebody that took to anything that was athletic they'd skate on the little frozen pond um, you know in their on their property back in Saskatchewan so she would get in the middle of pond hockey games when we were kids and whatever it was she would she would play and and compete hard and uh you know she was she was good at those things as well and she helped uh the lady that did have the technical training in town uh to teach power skating she'd kind of go out and give people a hand that maybe needed it while while the other instructor was kind of giving the formal the formal technical information to us but she was always out there she loved being in the middle of it and um you know i'm sure we got a a few of the athletic genes from my mom for sure well, we spent a lot of time on the ice, but what I, I was doing, I was helping a lady who was a figure skating coach, and then she turned to this power skating, and so I was on the ice. She was the teacher, and I helped her with kids that, when they were young, you kind of have to help them you know, hold them up or get them going in the skating, and I, and I love kids. And um, and then the boys were uh, in hockey, and um, I always, uh, we always felt that skating is one of the most important skills that that you have to have um, in order to um, improve your game. And we, I grew up in, a, in Saskatchewan and on a dairy farm, and we had a dugout. And it was like a slough that the cows used to drink from. And in the winter, it would freeze, of course. And uh, my family, um, there was two boys and a girl, and we were always at the dugout uh, skating. And then our friends would come up on the weekend and we'd skate before there was um, skating rink, outdoor skating rink at Fort San where uh, we went to school. So skating was always kind of a, a part of our lives. As Scott began his athletic journey in Cranbrook, that was when he was originally acquainted with his close friend Jared Bouquet. Jared played sports, including hockey, with Scott all the way through juniors at Kamloops. As Scott's career continued to progress in the NHL, Jared eventually became Scott's player agent. Their friendship dates all the way back to their early years on the soccer field. I just remember... The first time I ever saw Scott, I still can remember how fast he could run. I was just like, wow, how does someone run so fast? 
And he was a quiet and shy guy. And, you know, maybe we all were when we were young and young and first soccer team, but he was quiet, but aggressive. Like I couldn't believe how he was always had the ball and just how much faster he was than the rest of us. So that was my first meeting with Scott. As the pair continued to grow up together, Jarrett recalls the moment he knew that Scott's maturity and leadership was a step ahead. A couple years later, we might have been 10, um, and we were playing. It was called Adam Hockey back then. My dad was the coach. And he brought everybody into the dressing room, and he said, everybody that wants to play forward, go to the right side of the room. Everybody that wants to play defense, go to the left side of the room. Every kid went to the right side of the room, and Scott went to the left. So I thought, Obviously, I'm going to get more ice time, and Scott is just a mature guy, and he's probably the best player. I'm just going to go over on that side of the room. I don't know if he went that way because he would just get more ice time and everybody went the other way, but there was just two of us sitting there, and and I remember that vividly. And uh, through the years, as we got older, I think there were coaches and parents and people that were trying to get Scott to play forward. And my dad was the one that influenced him, kept him back on D and recognized that Scott was one of those players that's better when everything's in front of him. And his skating ability, I mean, was way ahead of his time. So I think that maturity that he had back then, you know, recognizing that, I mean, I think he has always been ahead of his time. Bouquet also remembers how Scott's maturity kept the group out of trouble during their high school days. When other kids were starting to get into drinking and whatnot, Scott had better ideas. Whether he told anybody or not, he was going to play in the NHL, in, I'm sure in his mind. Um, so after the summer skates, we would all head up to my place because we had an acreage and we had a big bonfire pit. and We used to drink Slurpees and, you know, there was no alcohol involved. It was kind of nerdy you know, our group. And so it was right around graduation, actually. And I really wanted him to come to grad, you know, to the graduation. And he just, he was like, he had workouts and he had other ideas. And I kind of was like, listen, you got to come. And, and he kind of bit back at me for, and he was like, you know what, if you think grad, if graduation is the most important thing in your life, then you've got, you've got a, rethink things and he stormed off and he left and he was mad at me and it was hilarious because it took about seven minutes for him to get home and I remember my dad going hey Jared Scott's on the line I go what and he he goes hey I'm sorry about that I shouldn't have I shouldn't have said that you know graduation is important but I have other things going on and I shouldn't have said that and it was it was hilarious that's the only time I think him and I ever really got in an argument as as younger guys <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know if I was all that um, advanced in my thinking. Um, I just wasn't naturally sort of a a real party person, um, you know. So we, I definitely would stay away. And yeah, I guess if if some of the other friends or whatever, we'd get away and and kind of stay out of some trouble. Um, we would do it. I, I would just enjoy being with them. So it wasn't by any design to sort of help them out. I guess I was I was doing my thing, and if a few of them came along, that was awesome. While slushes around the bonfire were a staple for Scott and Jarrett, 
Slushes, and a Nirvana CD were also at the forefront of how Scott and his now wife Lisa started dating. His wife now, Lisa, I, I got my tonsils out one summer after, I think it was after we'd won the Memorial Cup. Or no, I got my wisdom teeth pulled, sorry. And I was in a lot of pain. So she, as a friend, brought up a slush for me. You know, one of those <laughs> slushes to make my teeth feel better. So in walked Scott with a slush as well. And I'm like, oh, right, a slush cat party. Okay, just like old times. So they start talking. And actually, I joked about this uh, when I was up there. Scott, you know, he, he never really had a girlfriend. He was just too focused on other things. And if he did, we didn't, nobody knew about it. But um, so he had a Nirvana CD. And he's like, hey, Lisa, do you want to hear this Nirvana CD? And you can see Lisa just going, rolling her eyes, going, sure, okay. So he goes into my room and... I could hear the Nirvana playing, and so then fast forward three weeks, we're all out camping, and we're all by the fire, and all of a sudden, she kind of leans up against him and puts his arms around him, like, what? What is going on? What happened here? And we were all just kind of laughing and joking around, but that's really how they started dating, and it's funny, because I was bugging him about that. I goes, if that's your only move with girls, is you, you brought a Nirvana CD out and made her listen to it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of a funny story. He likes to always tell people that one but uh yeah i think he had his uh wisdom teeth pulled so he was kind of his face was swollen up so i think we brought him some ice cream or something and then uh actually lisa and her friend were up doing the same thing <laughs> they were up visiting him and had brought him something too so at that point i don't know we hung out for a bit and then lisa and i kind of just started talking and talking and next thing you know time flew by and we were still talking and uh i think I'm sure Jarrett said that one of the things was I wanted her to show her some secret song on the the back of a Nirvana CD. Um, I guess that dates us a little bit. At least it wasn't a cassette tape, but uh, <laughs> that was yeah, that was something that we were talking about. And uh, I was a big Nirvana fan at the time, so uh, I guess that's connected to to the two of us for sure. So we kind of just started talking, and my girlfriend had to leave, and I don't know, Scott took me back to Jarrett's room and said something like, oh, "Have you ever heard of the Nirvana?" I don't know, extra track on their thing or whatever. So we went back there. We ended up just sitting talking basically all night. Jared had fallen asleep. We came out. Everybody was gone. And so then uh, he drove me home. And I guess the rest is kind of history. <laughs> Even after the impact that Nirvana had on Scott and Lisa's early dating memories, Scott's still unsure if she'd call herself a fan of the band. I don't think she was, and I'm not sure she still is. So... <laughs> Scott's core values today are the same values he's had since he was just a quiet boy in Cranbrook. At the forefront of those values is how he treats his friends, family, and those around him. And his relationship with his brother Rob is no different. Yeah, that's one thing I think with, with Scott is, is nothing's changed. Uh, I mean, he's still the same same guy as when we were kids, and, and his personality hasn't changed. He's still you know super supportive of everyone. and, and really down to earth and that's the thing about our group is is i think we're all pretty similar in that aspect so but i i think scott's sort of you know the leader uh, of that group so he had a big part of it in a 2007 edition of sports illustrated there's an excerpt describing scott and rob as sibling rivals but as the tale tells the two brothers are anything but rivals supporting each other at every turn even during the 03 Stanley Cup Finals between Scott's New Jersey Devils and Rob's Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. The two created special memories together in Cranbrook. 
Rob recalls some of his favorite moments out on the frozen pond after school. You know what? I remember just like we had some friends, like we weren't old enough to drive, but we had a, a, an older uh, friend that was that did have a car. And so he would be the guy that we, we'd go right after school, right to, right to the pond. It was probably like a 15-minute drive. And we'd stay out there right to dark, and you know you'd put one one boot at one end, one at the other, and of course before you'd have to shovel the snow off. But I remember it didn't matter what how cold it was or whatever. We would we just love playing it, and and we we would do that as as much as we could, and just some some awesome memories with that. Scott's focus, leadership, and competitiveness drives him in every area of his life, from hockey to mountaineering. If he didn't make it in hockey, I have no doubt he would be, you know, a top doctor or a top researcher or doing something that he would be good at. And his brother Rob is like that too. And I think I remember also when we were 10 years old and running around the hotel in Calgary at a tournament, I remember it was about 7.30 or 8, and I went, you know, running down the hotel room, knocking on his door to see if he wanted to come play mini sticks, and his dad answered, and he said, no, the boys are sleeping, and you probably should be too, and I, that was the first time I was like, okay, yeah, they're focused, I should get my act together and probably go to bed now too, and then later in Kamloops, you know, I think we all think, well, we're going to make the NHL, and you don't have to worry about school, and there's Scott winning the Western Hockey League Academic Award, too. So as good of a player he was, he excelled because he's competitive. And again, well, I better get my act together, too. I'm more of a fringe guy. I can't afford to be failing school. <laughs> so he was always that leader, even if he didn't ever say, books, like, pick it up. Like, he was just that that leader all the time, whether it was when we were young, playing soccer, um years of playing hockey together uh when we got into mountaineering later on we climbed mount rainier with uh that group that we called the bombers at the top of the summit with two uh three-man rope teams that was scott leading the way kind of pulling us up the mountain those qualities led him to success at every corner of his career starting with the kamloops blazers in the western hockey league scott's journey to the blazers could be a movie all by itself with former Kamloops scout and current amateur scout for the New Jersey Devils, Glenn Dirk, first discovering him. When you're a young kid and all of a sudden, you know, we, we start to learn a little bit of systems. And like I said, my dad was the coach. I remember one time I was behind the net with the puck and he came by so fast and grabbed the puck. And he had this move. He'd go up, he'd fake in, he'd go wide. And every time. Like, he just put his arm out every time, pump his legs, and score almost every time. I remember that and go, I've got to just get him the puck anytime I'm playing with him. It's, it's amazing. It's incredible to watch. And so he did it. And people said, you know, at the atom level, well, you know, Pee Wee, the next level, let's see if he can do it at that level. Pee Wee was the same thing. We played bigger teams down in Vancouver, and he was doing the same thing. And then Bantam, it's like, well, you can't do it at Bantam when there's hitting and whatnot. And he did it at the Bantam level. Come flying around the net, up the ice, fake inside, drive wide, put his arm out, pump his legs, and score. Every time. And um, back in Pee Wee, there was a scout named Glenn Dirk. 
and it's a funny story. He came through, uh, he was scouting for the Spokane Chiefs, and he stopped in for a bathroom break at our rink and started just watching our practice. And he just watched Niedermeyer play. And he grabbed my dad after, and he said, who's that kid right there? And he goes, his name's Scott Niedermeyer. He goes, I'll remember the name. My dad said, well, why is that? And he goes, he's going to win the Norris Trophy one day. Then Glenn Dirk listed him with the Spokane Chiefs. And so we went down there to play in a tournament, and the Spokane Chiefs had Link Gates and some of these crazy players. It was tough. It was a really tough era. And, you know, a huge Donnybrook broke out. And the scout was sitting by Mr. and Mrs. Niedemeyer. And you could see them getting jittery. So the scout, Glenn Dirk, goes down to the coach and says, listen, we have probably the best prospect since Bobby Orr. There's a chance he could get him, could lose him to college. His dad's a doctor and his mom is very educated and professional and they don't look very comfortable. You need to tone things down. The coach, uh, in the third period came out and again, a huge Donnybrook Link Gates was there and the Niedermeyers turned and said, thank you for your interest in our son, but he won't play for the Spokane Chiefs. So then fast forward a bit, Glenn Dirk started scouting with the Camels Blazers. Spokane dropped him, Glenn Dirk listed him with Camels. 34 years later, and Scott Niedermeyer is an NHL Hall of Famer, won a Norris Trophy, and Glenn Dirk has now been scouting for the New Jersey Devils for more than 20 years. Scott's time in Kamloops was crucial for his development, and prior to his first season in Major Juniors, a personal visit from Bob Brown and Ken Hitchcock, who was coaching the team in Scott's first year, secured his future with the Blazers. The big point that I remember was when Bob Brown and Hitchcock, Ken, uh, came down to visit us in Cranbrook, and they sat down with uh, Carol and I and uh, uh, discussed the possibility of him going to Kamloops and, um, you know, we were most worried that, uh, well, not worried, but uh, um, their education, is it going to suffer because they're playing major junior? I mean, it's almost like a job. And uh, so uh, we, we really, in the end, left it to the boys, uh, each of them. And Scott, of course, being the oldest one, he was the groundbreaker. And um, after talking to uh, Hitchcock, and uh, Brown, they made it very clear that his uh, education would all be covered and we didn't have to worry about that. It was a priority just in the day-to-day -day running of the hockey team. So uh, it, it panned out well from there. And, um, you know, it uh, never I never dreamt it would end up the way it did. <laughs> he was blessed in that he went to Kamloops and, um, number one, he had great billets. And um, one or two um, kids stayed there as well, so that uh, he wasn't the only one at this house, but this family were um, really, really good to him. And um, he had the coaches, again, Mr. Hitchcock and uh, Mr. Hay. He was fortunate to be on a good team again. There were some really good players um, that he could develop his skills and and play that team game and because um, uh, he did win the um, the Memorial Cup, Kamloops did win it one year in uh, Seattle. 
Scott went on to play three seasons with the Kamloops Blazers, including the 1991-92 season, after he'd been drafted by New Jersey and had played four games for the Devils. Yeah, I think, you know, they were a really strong organization. You know, good good leadership management, uh, the coach that was there. Um, that was really, I think, what made made it easy decision to go play there. Um, you know, we had good teams. Again, like I said, surrounded by good players and players that would challenge you, players that would help your team be competitive and successful. Um, and, yeah, I was really fortunate to live with uh, a great family, the Paulsons, Roger and Sheila, that uh, took me in. They'd had billets for a number of years that, that played for the Kamloops team. And I was able to live with them the three years I was there, and they were amazing. I mean, they were tremendously supportive Um did a lot for me, obviously away from the rink, um, basically taking care of me. <laughs> um, and yeah, extremely thankful for, for all they did as well. Prior to being selected by New Jersey, former Devils team president and general manager Lou Lamorello described the process in selecting Scott. I was there uh, prior to his draft here, watching him play. Uh, and I believe it was in Quebec uh, for Cam Loops when Hitch was coaching. Uh, and at that given year, uh, there were five players, if I recall, uh, in the top five, so to speak. There was Lindros, uh, there was Falloon, there was Scotty, there was Lachance, and there was Ward. Those were the five. Uh, I remember us, the New Jersey uh, Devils, inviting all five of them uh, to camp because we had Toronto's pick at that time, uh, number three, and uh, Lindros declined, uh, but we had Scott, Balloon, Ward, and uh, Lachance uh, all there at the same time. At those days, we were able to test them in different ways, spent a lot of time with them, and certainly uh, Scotty came out head of the class. Uh, unfortunately, we did not know where we would be picking. Uh, we certainly uh, you know, were hoping uh, that we had the chance at Scotty. We knew who was going number one. We didn't have that pick. Uh, so Scotty was certainly our choice uh, from day one. On June 22, 1991, at the Memorial Auditorium in Buffalo, New York, Scott Niedermeyer was selected by the New Jersey Devils with the third overall pick in the NHL draft. We were, we were pretty proud of him, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, it was... Uh, it was a huge step, which, um, you know, we never dreamt he would go that high in the draft. Of course, you know, we, we were more worried just about that uh, he was happy and doing something he enjoyed. Like you cry because um, it's something they've wanted to attain and, and all of a sudden it, it's there and he's there. He's, he's got to a, a pinnacle that he's sort of worked hard for. And um, it, it, it just was most joyous. It was awesome um, for everybody, right? That uh, I'm sure, you know, I mean, as a parent now, you know, anytime your kids do something uh, or achieve a goal or whatever, it, it almost means more. <laughs> as a parent, I recognize that now. Um, but, you know, for me, it was just a, just a thrill. I was young, I was naive, I, I didn't really understand maybe what, what laid ahead as far as the work and, and different things or opportunities, but uh, just a chance to put on NHL jersey um, was a big thrill. I, 
I, I look back at the pictures now and I, I was so quick to put, put the jersey on, I didn't even take off my suit jacket. I just threw it on right over top. I was kind of so, so eager to get it on. So it was, uh, it was a thrill for sure. I always remember that, of course, was the year Lindros was uh, drafted number one, and uh, there was no question who was going to be number one. And Falloon was second, and then Scott was third. And um, I remember we were down in the lobby, and I was talking to Bob Brown, and um, uh, several of the other uh, NHL scouts were there, and they were talking away and, you know, raving about Lindros. And Bob Brown says, well... uh, I'll tell you, Scott is going to be the top out of all this draft group. And um, I'm thinking to myself, oh, well, that's wonderful you can say that, Bob. But, <laughs> you know, I don't really believe it. <laughs> and uh, But look at how it turned out. That same year, on October 16th, Scott Niedermeyer made his NHL debut at Madison Square Garden in New York against Mark Messier and the Rangers. Messier's first season in New York after arriving just 11 days earlier in a trade from Edmonton. You know, that that was just the craziest feeling. You know, you're there, you know, you've almost like out of body thing. You're like, geez, I'm, there's Mark Messier taking the face off and I'm on the ice. Like, that just doesn't make sense, right? You couldn't quite figure that out. The 1992-93 season was the first full season for Scott in the NHL, and just a few seasons later, Scott hoisted his first Stanley Cup with the Devils during the shortened lockout season in 1995. New Jersey swept the Detroit Red Wings in the series, and in Game 2, Scott scored one of his most memorable goals. Here's Niedemeyer. He can fly. Niedemeyer reshade the trailer. Niedemeyer gets missed. Niedemeyer scores! Scott Niedemeyer, the 21-year-old, showing you why. Despite the fact he's played mostly D for the Devils, he is an offensive threat. Kind of a, a weird thing. I, I lost my stick. Um, actually, was tied up in, in one of the Detroit players. Um, and in and, and a kind of a weird thing, he kind of just let me grab it from him, you know, rather than toss it in the corner and make it difficult for me to, to get. It, it, he kind of just stayed there and um, allowed me just to grab it from him. And I was able to kind of from there take a few strides um i got got the puck because i was getting a pretty good head of steam and i think the fact i came from so low in our zone i kind of caught their defense flat-footed and i you know was moving as fast as i possibly could um the defense backed up i took a a quick shot missed the net but because of the speed i had i was able to just kind of move in and, and get the rebound off the boards and it came out in front of the net and i was able to put it put it behind the goalie so it was you know a few moments a few situations of some luck involved um using my strength as a player which was my skating and um yeah to score a big goal like that in the Stanley Cup finals playoffs um is always a thrill to to sort of contribute like that. Niedermeyer and the Devils would go on to win their second cup in just a five-year span with Scott scoring the opening goal in game six of the series against the Dallas Stars. New Jersey went on to win the game in double overtime to clinch the series. When it was Scott's turn to host the cup in his hometown of Cranbrook, B.C., he took the cup to new heights. The keeper of the cup, Phil Pritchard, who has traveled everywhere with the iconic trophy since 1988, explained. One story I always talk about is they're talking about 
how they're on cloud nine and they feel the greatest moment in their life. Well, Scott actually took it to cloud nine and took the helicopter up to the uh, mountains outside of Cranbrook there and stood there. And when anyone sees that photo, we have it hanging up in our archives here. I mean, it's one of the best, not only sports, but human nature stories there is. Being on a mountain overlooking your hometown with a cup over your head is it's pretty amazing. You look at the sky, the scenery, and everything about it. Yeah, no, I mean, that was sort of it. The, the photographer organized the whole thing and, and you know, kind of got in touch with the helicopter company to see if it was something they could do. And uh, it was a pretty thrilling thing to, to fly up there. It's a pretty small little peak of a mountain. Um, you know, the the keeper of the Stanley Cup probably wasn't too too thrilled about the idea, but uh, we were able to, to make it all work. And uh, it, it's a pretty cool kind of memento at least for me personally i know a lot of other people think agree but you know it's a it's a landmark that uh, from cranbrook to hometown my hometown you know it's something you see from town you know people like to hike and get to the top of it and you can always see it when you're driving around town so to sort of combine the two things um seemed to make sense for me and it just um brings a lot of good memories from many respects it sort of combines the accomplishment of the stanley cup with with my hometown and and the natural beauty out there. So um, it turned out pretty good. The kids climbed that mountain when they were young. And to see them reach that pinnacle when they were young, the top, it's about 9,000 feet plus. And then for him to put the cup on top of it, it's sort of the beacon to to Cranbrook. And uh, that, that was just... I, I can't tell you how how that moment really uh, had something special um, to see him climb up there as a, a young boy and then to take the cup up there um, was fantastic. Yeah, that was just fantastic. He, uh, I guess that shows part of his character too. When he brought the Stanley Cup home, he really made sure he, as many people as possible, got to see it. You know, he didn't hesitate. Uh, I don't think it was the first time, but uh, one of the times with the Stanley Cup, uh, I had a, a patient of mine who just had had a baby, and so he didn't hesitate to come to the hospital and see her and have the little baby boy in the Stanley Cup take a picture. With two cups under his belt, Scott then competed in his first Olympic Games, the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City. You know, obviously in Canada, growing up in Canada, hockey gets a lot of attention. Um, you know, so when you're able to, to represent your country in anything, it's a, it's a huge honor. Absolutely. Um, but I think there's something even extra special um, to do it in, in hockey in Canada. You know, I, I know I, growing up, uh, watching the international competitions, um, you know, most of the sort of what you'd call best on best would have been Canada Cups that I grew up watching. And uh, those to me were, was, were, you know, some great situations to watch the, the best talent in the world competing against each other, some, some exciting storylines and how the tournaments played out um, and great memories as a fan and Canadian to, to watch, you know, the Canadian guys go out and represent the country. So to be able to do that then yourself um, when you get that opportunity is a, a huge honor. Um, in 02, um, I think it had been 50 years since Canada won a gold medal in ice hockey since most 
you know, the top players in Canada were always playing in the NHL and the NHL didn't shut down to allow the players to go to the Olympics. So um, when that finally did happen, I think the Canadians started looking at the Olympic gold medal as something that, uh, you know, we really felt we, we should be winning. And uh, the first year they didn't end up winning it. So in 02 was it the next crack we had and it had been 50 years. So that, there was some pressure involved in that, in that tournament. There's a lot of other good countries that, that uh, have some really good hockey players. So it's never maybe as much a foregone conclusion as Canadians wish it was, but uh, to, to be able to be part of that team, to play with some guys that, again, grew up watching, Mario Lemieux, Steve Eiserman, guys like that, um, was a thrill. And, and then to be able to, to win the gold medal um, was, was awesome. After winning gold with Team Canada, Scott and the Niedermeyer family faced the most challenging predicament of their hockey journey, the brothers, Scott and Rob, facing each other in the 2003 Stanley Cup final. That was brutal. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, whenever they played each other, and that even goes back to their junior hockey days, um, you always felt that you were cheering for the losing team, <laughs> you know, because you wanted them both to win, eh? It was hard for Scott because he he wanted Robbie to win too, but not not in this case because he had to do his best and play for his team. And I was really proud of him to do that, but um, it, it, it was hard both ways. I do remember like uh, talking to him just before we were going to play, and we sort of like said, "Okay, well, you know what? We both we both want to win the Stanley Cup, so." Um, uh, we probably won't talk to each other until the series is over. Yeah, I think we just understood that we both were playing hard for our teams and ourselves, and uh, that was just how how it was. That's what we had to do. You know, I think, yeah, for, for my parents, I'm sure it was kind of uh, at one point, it's probably, oh, this is great. Both Both kids are in the Stanley Cup final, and then sort of once the reality of, you know, how it was going to play out, which obviously is pretty, <laughs> pretty obvious, um, you know, one team was going to win, one was going to lose. You know, I think then it was kind of like, well, there's, there's half of it's going to be great and the other half's going to be, di- you know, pretty difficult. And as it went, the series went to a grueling game seven with Scott assisting on the Devils' first two goals in their final clinching 3 nothing win over the Mighty Ducks. After when they shook hands and then we went out and saw Rob right after, it was a really hard, hard time to watch Rob have to go through that and, you know, Scott celebrate. But he also had guys on on his team that had never won. So he kind of went to Rob, you know, said his things. They talked for a while and then he's like, okay, got to go celebrate with these guys now. But yeah, that was a, it was a weird, weird time, but uh, hard for Rob. (laughs) That moment on the ice when they shake hands, it's, it's pretty touching, and and hockey's got some great moments. Uh, when Joe Sackick has passed the cup to Ray Bork, moments like that. But Scott and Rob hugging at, at uh, shaking hands that that's one of those moments you can't you can't really describe. But Scott and Rob know that feeling itself. You have to really applaud Rob. He was at all of those Stanley Cup parties, including the one that he didn't win as well. But As they know, that's the nature of the game. Somebody wins and somebody loses. A year later, Scott and Rob teamed up at the 2004 World Championships, and that's when they first discussed the idea of playing together. Yeah, I don't think really um, we we sort of talked about playing together or until um, 
we played together in the world championships and just had a great time and really enjoyed it. And that was something that uh, we hadn't done since we were kids. So I think that's when we first sort of entertained that, the idea of that. And um, yeah, that's sort of where I think that started. Yeah, you know, I don't think it wasn't something that we really even talked or thought a whole lot about, um, you know, until maybe that was one of the moments where we actually did talk about it was when we played together at the World Championships. Um, you know, we were able to win win a gold medal there and, you know, compete together just like we did every other year when we were kids. Um, we kind of took that for granted, I, I'm sure, because it just kind of was the way the way it was, the chance to play together every second year. Um, obviously great for my parents. I, I recognize that after becoming a parent when your kids can kind of be on the same team playing in the same town and building. It's, it's nice so you can see both of them doing their thing. Um, so you know, to get an opportunity to do that. I think that is sort of planted a seed when we played together and recognized, you know what, we haven't done this in a long time. We used to do it as kids. And if we had a chance to do it in the NHL, it would be, it'd be pretty special. So uh, I think that is when we, we at least entertained the idea. After the 2004-2005 NHL lockout season, Scott became a free agent. And that's when the idea of him potentially heading west became a reality. You know, I think probably even during and before me being a free agent, um, there was sort of a little bit of, you know, where was my brother at? Obviously, Anaheim had been to the finals in 03. I believe the next year they missed the playoffs. And then during the lockout, the team was sold. And, um, you know, there were some changes to to management, coach, new ownership. The Sam, that's when the Samuelis bought the team. Um, so there was sort of definitely a lot of unknowns with the team and that, you know, Rob and I would talk, like I would kind of ask Rob, like, what do you think about the team? And, you know, is it a place you want to play? Like, is it, uh, you know, somewhere where you think you can win and, you know, those type of things. So we, we actually kind of, that was sort of maybe the first <laughs> piece of the puzzle was like, you know, for Rob to decide, is, is this a place that he enjoys playing and thinks can compete and, and, and try and win? I know that's a, that's a difficult question to ask. I wasn't, uh, <laughs> It didn't need to be a guarantee there, but, you know, just do you think it's got the right sort of environment ultimately um, to potentially compete? Um, so really it was sort of up in some ways, you know, for Rob to kind of decide, is this a place that um, I believe those things? And I think, you know, I think he did. Obviously they were there in 03, um, you know, then they missed the playoffs and, and sometimes you, you, there is an up and down to, to just pro sports and, and different things. Um, and I think what, what really helped was kind of, the discussions my brother had with uh, Brian Burke as a new general manager and just some of his ideas and the vision talking about, you know, the players that were in Anaheim talking about some of the ideas of what he thought he could improve with the team, I think really gave my brother some belief in, in what he wanted to do. Brian spoke highly of the Samuelis and, you know, in his short time getting to know them and what they valued and, and what their priorities were. And, and I think that gave my brother, you know, confidence that, yeah, you know what, I, I've been in Anaheim. I've enjoyed it here. I believe that, you know, the people that are here now are going to continue to push this team to, to be competitive. And then once he got to that point of being comfortable, you know, there in Anaheim, then now it was, I guess, my decision once I was a free agent after the lockout to make my decision as to, you know, do I want to stay in New Jersey, which was, it was difficult to leave there for sure, or try, you know, something new, uh, a new challenge in a new place and get a chance to play with my brother, which, 
which definitely was the biggest sort of factor in me making that decision for sure. I mean, it's, there were some things about, you know, getting out West, you know, both Lisa and I are from Western Canada. So being a bit closer to home, those, all those type of things were, were part of the, the thinking as well. A new challenge, um, you know, you know, had its benefits, you know, I'd been in the league now a while and, and trying something new, you know, there was sort of that line, that train of thought too, but for sure the biggest one was the fact Rob was here and uh, to get a chance to play with him in the NHL as a teammate was uh, was probably number one for sure. And so Scott made the decision to unite with his brother in Anaheim in a script that seemingly was written not too far away in Hollywood. In Scott's first season in Southern California, the smooth skating defenseman played all 82 games for the Mighty Ducks and finished second in voting for the James Norris Trophy as Anaheim was eliminated in the Western Conference Finals by the Edmonton Oilers. The very next year, the 2006-2007 season, became the most memorable one for the Anaheim Ducks franchise and for the Niedermeyer family. The Ducks finished the regular season with 110 points. Until that point, it was their best season in franchise history. The team advanced all the way to the Stanley Cup final, eliminating the Minnesota Wild, Vancouver Canucks, and Detroit Red Wings en route to a final matchup with the Ottawa Senators. In a playoff run full of special moments, including Scott's first overtime playoff goal, a series clinching goal against Vancouver that was set up by a big hit from Rob, the brothers also teamed up for a goal in double overtime in the Western Conference Finals matchup against the Red Wings to tie the series at one. Now for Paulson, Sammy Paulson shoots one towards the net, what's behind Moen? Track down Rob Niedermeyer to Scott, in front, shoots, goal! Oh my goodness, I'm going to say it. We got Niedermania. Teaming up for the goals and things like that, that, that's neat. But just every day being able to come to the rink together and, uh, you know, like I said, working for the same team, it's been been fun. I mean, a big thrill for me for sure. This uh, uh, It was certainly nice uh, to come up with the win tonight. And, and uh, I mean, watching Scott score that winning goal was, was pretty special. In Game 4 of the Cup Final against Ottawa, with the Ducks leading the series two games to one, the captain of the Senators, Daniel Alfredson, out of frustration, turned and fired the puck at Scott Niedermeyer in the final seconds of the second period. The center, Alfredson, last one off Scott Niedermeyer, and I think the Ducks are upset at Alfredson for firing the puck. And Scott Niedermeyer, now Paulson gets into it. Now Moen is knocked down by Phillips. Polchenkov gets into it with Scott Niedermeyer. What did you make of that? It looked like he fired the puck right at Scott Niedermeyer towards the end of the period. Now Phillips and Beaujolais having some words. Scott Niedermeyer is incensed at Daniel Alfredson. You know what? I do not blame him one bit. The actions of Alfredson fired the Anaheim team up as they swarmed around the Ottawa captain looking for revenge. However, as another former Anaheim captain, Ryan Getzloff, describes, the cool and calm Scott Niedermeyer displayed his leadership between periods. That was definitely a defining moment for Scotty, for us as a group that kind of saw his leadership right at the forefront, was that those are the kinds of things that our team, all season long, 
would have reacted to. We would have went out and probably fought our way out of the building, all those kind of things. We we had fights all the time. We were a rough and tough team. We wouldn't let anybody push us around like that. And that was an incident that happened. And, you know, everyone's riled up. We go into the dressing room. And the first thing Scotty does is he stands up and tells everyone to calm down. Don't worry about it. We'll worry about it later. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and just just that he was able to stand up and say that, you know, his credibility, his leadership told everyone in the room, well, yeah, he's right. And, you know, we need to, you know, he's fine. He, he wasn't injured. He wasn't, he's ready to play. And he would rather have the success on the, you know, on the, on the board and in the series than, than take retribution right away. I, you know, kind of just tried to emphasize to the guys that, hey, I'm fine. Let's uh, focus on the more important thing right now. And um, and the guys were, were great with that. They just, you know, we were really focused on what we wanted at that point, which is to win the Stanley Cup. After the calming words from Scott, Dustin Penner scored the go-ahead goal for the Ducks to lift them to a 3-1 series lead, setting up the clincher back in Anaheim. Scott Niedermeyer throws it outside the zone, and the Ducks win! 3-2, they win game four in Canada. And the Ducks are up three games to one in the Stanley Cup final. Coming home Wednesday with a chance to win it at Honda Center. And in game five, the Anaheim Ducks took down the Ottawa Senators to put the final touches on a movie script that saw Captain Scott Niedermeyer pass the cup to his brother Rob. Six seconds left. Chris Porter has the puck. Hold on to the Anaheim Ducks. Have won the Stanley Cup. The Anaheim Ducks have won the Stanley Cup. The Ducks players come flying over the boards. A true team effort all season long. The Ducks are the first team from California to win the Stanley Cup. A golden moment for hockey fans in Southern California. The winner of the Conn Smythe Trophy as the most valuable player in the playoffs, Scott Niedermeyer. Scott Niedermeyer, come on back up. It's your turn to hoist the cup. First thing that he does is he hands it off to his brother, for Robbie, he has made it to the finals before, lost to his brother. That is an outstanding thing. When Scotty received the cup and then gave it to Rob, well, yeah, that's my mountaintop. <laughs> that was uh, hard to put into words. It was uh, so exciting. And uh, to see them out there together, and uh, it, it certainly more than made up for the year they lost. Eh? To have him hand it to Rob was really just icing on the cake. It was so special and uh, I think a, a memory that'll last forever, that's for sure. That photo alone of him passing it to his brother and, and patting him and telling him to skate around with it is, I think, really all that needs to be said is right there. That had been a common goal of theirs for, you know, since they were kids. And knowing that Scotty's been able to do it and and Rob hadn't got to yet. I just, you know, like I said, I can't, I can't even imagine what that felt like for both of them to be able to share that together. For it to happen sort of the way it did was just, I mean, you couldn't really write it up better than it did happen. It was 
just awesome how we were able to experience it together, play a big part on the team, and and um, uh, just go through it with their families together. And and um, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it's hard to put it into words because I don't I don't think I would do it justice just because it was just from what I'd experienced before that to 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 the elation you feel when you do. Re- have your brother pass you the cup and reach that childhood dream. It was it was unbelievable. It was actually sort of more than than I imagined because I think what what maybe I didn't think and should have probably more was you know the fact that my boys got to get to know their uncle. You know we he'd pop over for dinner and we'd do the same over to his house and you know he was got married during the time we were playing in Anaheim so we got to to uh, to know his wife and um, you know their aunt. Um, you know, he had, they had their first, uh, first child in Anaheim. So we got to be around for that and, you know, to be able to share all those moments as a family, really is probably, I mean, obviously winning the Stanley Cup is, is great, but those are, those are great too. Like the, the time we got to spend together and catch up and, um, kind of, you know, just to, you know, increase the level of our friendship and, and broaden it out to our families and kids and, and different things was, uh, was great as well um, and something I didn't think a ton about but uh, to be able to to hand in the Stanley Cup after especially after you know four years prior and competing against each other and seeing how disappointed he was um, I mean I don't know I don't know if I would have believed it if I was watching some you know a movie on TV and saying oh they took it a little far and you know this this would never happen but uh, we, we were fortunate that, it, that we were, were able to make that happen and uh, I think going through that experience of competing against each other just made it just such a great feeling to be able to to share that success together and um yeah to, to be able to hand him the stanley cup something he'd been chasing a long time in his career um and probably appreciated it way more than maybe i ever did the fact i was able to win one while i was younger um you know there was a lot of guys on that team that had been chasing it for a long time played in the the, the nhl for 12 15 years before they were able to win their first Stanley Cup, and and I really loved that. Like just to see, you know, it just is that much sweeter for those guys. The fact that work and the, the disappointment that they've endured in their careers, and then finally, sort of getting to that moment and, and being able to, to hoist the Stanley Cup. I, I really enjoyed that with my brother, but with the other guys on the team that were in the same boat as him. It was uh, it was great to be part of something like that. With Scott and Rob winning the cup together, that meant twice the party back home in Cranbrook, including another special trip to the mountaintop. We helicoptered up that that same time, and it was actually, you know, sort of a, a mountain, probably about maybe, I'm just guessing, maybe five miles south of Fisher Peak. There's a, a range of mountains called the Steeples, and they're actually right above where Rob lives now, where his ranch is. So we kind of thought that would be, you know, a little bit different um, you know, be, be special in the fact that it's kind of the mountains right above his, his house, essentially. Um, so yeah, we, we decided that we'd try something different, take it up there and get some pictures. So yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of personal meaning and and those type of things, but they're obviously pretty scenic, um, as well. After reaching the pinnacle of his career with his brother, Rob, 
Scott continued to play with the Ducks through the 2010 season. That same year, Scott played in his second Olympic Games, this time as Captain Canada, leading his country to another gold medal, the second in his historic career. After the 2010 season, Scott finished his playing career as he retired from the NHL, a generational champion whose leadership and talent transcended everyone around him. And when reflecting on his career, Scott made sure to mention the support and impact his wife Lisa and his parents Bob and Carol have had on his life. Yeah, I, I can't say enough sort of, or give her enough credit for, for everything she, you know, she's done. She probably doesn't realize a lot of it, but uh, right from the early days there, but and then beyond to our family and four kids and the whole thing, um, you know, for sure. And I, I think there's no question I was really fortunate to sort of have, you know, meet Lisa and obviously end up being together. Um, and then beyond that, just the friendships and people that have been able to maintain and, and keep those friendships strong back in my hometown. And then I think that that was good because it did exactly. It kind of, I always knew, you know, who I was, I suppose, or where I came from. And those connections were always strong. Um, so, you know, when the hockey season ended, loved getting back there and, and catching up again. And, um, you know, Lisa had her family there as well. So there was never any sort of question as to where we'd spend our time. And uh, we both loved going back to, to Cranbrook area. Both my parents were were always there. Um, something that I think I really started to recognize as I'd gotten older and had my own kids was just, you know, they were they were at every tournament. They were on every road trip. Um, you know, the, the, for the years we played together, they usually were both there for the years we played apart. One was with each of us and, you know, one would go in that direction and one would stay with the other one. And they, they were doing everything they could, whether it was fundraising things for the team and, and different things in the community. Um, you know, and then they, they understood, I guess, that they were fortunate and able to do some of those things and had the time to do it. So, um, a combination of those things, but yeah, the more, I, the more I look back and, and recognize the effort and time and, and everything they did put in for my brother and I and for, for people in the community and people on our teams and, and those type of things. I'm very thankful for that, for sure. After he announced his retirement in 2010, he invited newly drafted defenseman Cam Fowler into his home to make sure that he could give back in the same way that others did for him when he was a young player in both Kamloops and New Jersey. It was fun. My boys loved it. You know, they were definitely more impressed by Cam than anything I ever did. So uh, that was a, a thrill for them. And um, it's been fun to watch Cam. I mean, he's not a, it's amazing that he's, he's now a veteran. You know, he's now the guy teaching these young guys. And that, that's exactly what I guess I've been talking about, sort of that, that cycle that, uh, you know, maybe I passed something along to him that I got from somebody and he used it a bit and he's, he's been passing it on to the young guys, with the ducks now. And that's, that's great to see. And, the way it the way it works. Fowler recalled what it was like to stay with the Niedermeyers. They were so gracious in, in letting me come and stay and I had my own bedroom and it was really a great atmosphere for me. It was they felt like family and it was an easy transition which helped a lot because there's there's a lot of things going on in your mind when you're an eighteen year old kid and you're playing in the NHL and having, you know, your meals and even like laundry and stuff taken care of really made things a lot easier on me. No matter how much time has passed or the amount of success and accolades Scott Niedermeyer has achieved, his friends and family all state that Scott has never changed. And the person he was as the quiet, shy kid from Cranbrook is the person he is today, the humble Hall of Famer that is still the leader 
of the Brookview Bombers. He's just such a modest guy and just that quiet superstar that you don't think he's a superstar. Like, I asked him one time, I go, Scott, like, you've won everything. Do you think you're a superstar? And he paused and he said, you know, I never really think about that, and that's not how I approach things. But he goes, I must be pretty good at hockey, and I just started dying laughing. He's just a, he's just a modest guy. Scott has certainly changed, but his core values um, as a, um, a boy growing up in Cranbrook um, didn't change much uh, as he moved on into his profession. What a, what a great leader he was. He's what I would want my leader to be like on, on a team and and just how good he was at that. And, and uh, I think just, you know, number two is just what a, what a good down-to-earth person he is, you know. Being able to experience um, so much success and he, he hasn't changed at all. He's still down-to-earth, genuine, and, and just a, a, a really good guy. Humility, he put a different definition to it as far as the stature that he created as far as his talents as a hockey player his humility is just uh, exceptional it continues that way today uh, he never tried to be in the spotlight he never got the crest of his jersey confused with his name uh you know, he's just a, a tremendous human being. It's pretty amazing. I'm, uh, I'm definitely one of his biggest fans, and always, you know, he's he's so humble and never really says too much. But I'm always like, oh yeah, he's won this and he's done that. And <laughs> honestly, it's like emotional just thinking about it. To be honest, it's unbelievable that I could be just a small part of his life. Today, Scott Niedermeyer serves as a special advisor to hockey operations for the Anaheim Ducks and is active with various conservation groups, including being a board member with the Yellowstone to Yukon Conservation Initiative. My interest and love of, of nature and being outside has also led me to kind of try and contribute a little bit in some con conservation environmental issues, um, you know, when I can. Currently, uh, actually on the board of a, a group up here called... Uh, Yellowstone to Yukon Conservation Initiative, which is a neat, uh, very interesting group that uh, is kind of working from Yellowstone all the way up to the Yukon to try and make that area as, uh, as healthy as possible for, for all living things there. And uh, I enjoy learning about it and uh, seeing the work that those people are doing. And like I said, it, it probably stemmed from where I grew up and how I grew up. And as for me and my thoughts, it just is one memory that I'll recall of several on Scott Niedermeyer. And that was that famous mad dash to score a prolific goal in game two of the 1995 Stanley Cup final against Detroit. I was standing with Peter McNabb. We were the broadcasters for the Devils on Sports Channel that year. And when Scott scored that goal, Peter turned to me and he said, the Devils are going to win the Stanley Cup and it might be a sweep. Now, Peter was 6'4 and I'm 5'7". And I didn't hear him quite right. I didn't think so. I said, I beg your pardon. He said, the Devils are going to win the Stanley Cup, and it might be a sweep. Turned out he was right on both, and I'll never forget Scott's goal. And also the marvelous elegance that he displayed in all of his years in New Jersey and Anaheim. And I have on my wall a prized picture, and I don't collect many things, 
a picture that Scott sent me of him standing on the mountaintop holding the Stanley Cup. And that is the mighty journey of Scott Niedermeyer.